0: Um, welcome this morning, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 10, the 10th Psalm. We're going we're to jump in there in just a moment as we continue in our series called When, A Study in the Psalms. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Thank you for a, just a wonderful time of worship this morning, Lord. Thank you for being here, for uh, leading our hearts uh, into a deeper place of love for Christ, Um, freeing us from anxiety and some of the pressure we feel today. Um, Lord, thank you that you're here to open our minds and our hearts to the truth of Scripture and, Lord, to help us understand it. So we pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you are today, just in your life, in your family, in your relationships, where you are emotionally, but you're in the right place. Amen. You're in the right place today to hear an encouraging word from God, to be in the presence of, of other Christ followers, to worship him, to experience his presence. So you're, you're in the right place today. Thanks for being here. Um, Psalm 10, we'll, we'll jump in there in just a moment. But I get anxious whenever I feel like evil is winning. Maybe it's my competitive spirit, I, I don't know. But I, whether that's at a national level, or whether it's with my friends and family, or whether it's a personal issue, when. When evil and darkness begins to win, man, I get discouraged and I get anxious in my life. Do do you ever look around? Do you ever look at our nation? Do you ever look at your family? Do you ever look at your children? Do you ever look at your own heart and feel like like evil's getting the upper hand? I mean, it doesn't take much looking to to begin to, to, to feel like darkness is winning. So what do we do? When darkness is winning in our lives, how do, how do we deal with that? Psalm 10 is going to give us some clues. But in, in, two, in 2021, there were 12 major U.S. cities that had all-time highs in homicide, murder. Uh, things are changing. Um, things are happening. Um, recreational marijuana is now either completely legal or, or simply decriminalized in all but four states in the US. Decriminalized means that you don't get punished for having small amounts in your possession. So essentially you can have it, in, in all but four states. Um, this, South Dakota now has the seventh highest suicide rate in the country. Like you wouldn't think that about South Dakota, but it does, the seventh highest suicide rate in the country. Between 2007 and 2018, the suicide rate for kids, 10 years old to 24 years old, went up 57%. 10-year-olds to 24-year-olds are committing suicide, dying by suicide, at at a 57% higher rate. And that number has increased since the pandemic. Mental health is at an all-time challenge right now. Um, 47% of families uh, report that pornography is a problem in their family, in their home. 47% of families report that pornography is a problem in their home. It's it's estimated that 56% of the divorces in America, at least one of the, the spouses has an obsessive interest in pornography. Like we're talking about root causes of of the the deterioration of of the family unit and marriage. Darkness continues to creep in. 68% of Christian men who attend church and 50% of pastors say they've visited a porn site. They visit a porn site at least once a month. I've got a lot of issues. By the grace of God, that's not one of them in my life. But, But men, we can overcome that. Uh, in our lives. 76% of young Christian adults, young Christian adults between the ages of 18 and 24, 76% struggle with pornography. It's easy to look at numbers like that. It's easy to recognize that, that um, domestic violence and intimate partner uh, abuse is at an all time high. Substance abuse continues to rise. And increase. So I look at that and, and I get discouraged and I feel like, like darkness and evil is winning. Where in your life is evil winning? In your kids? In your teenagers? In your college students? In your family? In your marriage? In your community? In our church? In the nation? As you look around, where is, is darkness winning? And, and what do we do about it? Well, psalm, 12, psalm 10 gives us some ideas. Psalm 10 doesn't have a superscription or a subheading that gives us the context of the psalm. In other words, we don't know the circumstances in which David was writing this psalm. All we know is that David was under the duress of wicked people. David was feeling like darkness was pressing in on his life, that darkness was becoming more and more pervasive in his life psalm 10 let's read beginning in verse 1 David says oh lord why do you stand so far away why are you distant where are you why do you hide when i'm in trouble why does it seem like i can't see you why does it seem like you're not around why does it seem like everything's going to hell around me and you're nowhere to be found The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. They brag about their evil desires. The the wicked praise the greedy and they curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They they seem to think that God is dead. Yet it seems like they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment waiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think nothing bad is going to happen to us. We will be free from trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on their lips. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Lions, Like lions crouched in hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think God isn't watching us. He's closed his eyes and he won't even see what we do. And David says in verse 12, arise, O Lord, punish the wicked. Don't ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Go after them until the... Oh, I skipped a verse. Break the arms of the wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer Terrify them. There's one difference as we read Psalm 10 between David's situation and ours. David is dealing with wicked people. David is dealing with people that are trying to take his life, and we're taking the lives of other people. When we read the Old Testament and we read about our enemies or David's enemies, how do we respond to that in the New Testament? Because in the New Testament, it says that, that we're not fighting against people. Our, our enemies are not flesh and blood. There are powers of darkness that we can't see behind evil people and behind evil structures and behind evil governments. Paul says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, one final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies or schemes or plans or devices of the evil one. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul says we're battling, Paul says we're involved in a war, but the war isn't with people. It's not a flesh and blood battle, it's a spiritual battle. And again, behind every evil person, behind every person it seems like we are battling, there is a spiritual force of darkness and evil. Behind every evil structure that's oppressing people, there is an evil power or authority. Behind any government that's walking in immorality. There is a power behind that. We are not wrestling with the President of the United States. We are not wrestling with our Congress. We are not uh, wrestling with our local leaders. We are wrestling with the powers, the unseen authorities and rulers in a spiritual realm that is influencing them. And so when when we look at Psalm 10, we're going to approach it this morning not like a physical war, as David might have been in, but a spiritual war. We're going to approach this from the perspective of prayer and spiritual warfare. What do we do when darkness is winning? We go to battle, and we go to war, and we begin to fight in the spiritual realm against the powers that are at work bringing evil and darkness into our children's lives, into our families' lives, into our marriage, into our communities, and into our nation. Amen? Just a different warfare. So, Psalm 10 is a a great model for effective prayer. And as we walk through Psalm 10, we're going to see four stages that David went through in prayer. The first is this. David begins with crisis. David's prayer begins with crisis. Something in life creates anger, frustration, Discouragement, fear, anxiety, depression, despair. And it can move us to prayer. That's what's happening in David's life. David is in a crisis and that leads him to pray. And the very first thing he says in this prayer is, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? Why can't we see you? Why are you hiding? Why aren't you interested? Why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing anything in our lives now, now notice that David doesn't begin prayer from a posture of faith and belief and confidence. He starts in a place of weakness. He starts in a place of unbelief and doubt. God, God, where, where are you? Now I want you to recognize that David is not in these in this first verse. He's not declaring spiritual theological truth. This is not true of God. God is not avoiding the problem, God has not disappeared, God is not distant, God is not unaware. All of those things David was saying, those were feelings, and they're legitimate, and they're valid, and we need to bring them to prayer, right? So David is, sometimes I wonder, you know, we say to ourselves, if I don't have faith, then God's not going to answer my prayer, Right? But notice David doesn't start with faith. We're going to see that David ends with faith. But it's the process of prayer that builds faith in David's life. But, but you, can, you can approach God in, in anger, in frustration, in despair, in discouragement, in unbelief. That's what David is doing. Where are you, God? Because it didn't feel to him like God was doing anything. It, it felt to him like evil was winning. And it's okay to come to the Lord when those are your feelings, But the crisis moves to the next step, which is description. Description. In this phase, David begins to describe to the Lord in detail what's going on. He begins to explain the wickedness that he's experiencing. I just pulled a few scriptures out to look at. The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. There's abuse taking place. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. They they brag about their evil desires. They're they're hard in their hearts. They don't fear God. They're they're not God-fearing. They praise the greedy and they curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. They think there's no recourse. Nothing bad is going to happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Like lions crouched in hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. This sucks, God. What I'm dealing with right now really stinks. Like, we're being assaulted, we're being attacked. The, the righteous, the, the innocent are being um, punished by the wicked. It, it, it doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem right that, that, that evil is winning. In our lives, this, this stinks. And David goes into detail to describe why he's in crisis. Why is he frustrated, angry, and discouraged in his life? And as we, as we come to the Lord in prayer, whether it's out of crisis or faith, we come to the Lord and then we begin to share with him what's really going on accurately. This is happening in the life of my child, there's rebellion in the heart of my teenager. Someone's addicted to pornography. Someone's addicted to alcohol or drugs. There's oppression going, there's bullying going on with my child. Whatever it is. And you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, this is a bit of a crisis. I know I've just got a mama's heart for my child, but it's more than that. Something's going on here, right? And here's what it is. Here's why I'm feeling what I'm feeling about you not being around. It's because all of these things Going on in my life. But then David takes another step in prayer and he moves from description to supplication. From description to supplication. Supplication is just a churchy word, it means to ask for something. And David begins to ask. He's saying, God, <clears throat> this situation stinks. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. But would you begin to do this in my life? David begins to ask the Lord to get involved. Here's what he says, verses 12 to 15. Arise, O Lord, punish the wicked, O God. Don't ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief that they cause. You take note of it and you punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. And then he says this at the very end, break the arms of the wicked. We'll come back to that. Break the arms of the wicked. David looks at his life, feels like God is not involved. Feels like God's not interested. Feels like God is unaware. And then he begins to to ask that God would get involved. The very first thing he says is, get up, God. Arise. Arise. It's like you're you're sitting down and no one one can even see you. There's no visible presence of God. We want to be able to see you. God, would you arise? And then he says punish the wicked, but in the Hebrew, it literally means lift your hand against the enemy. It was a military term that meant God, raise your weapon. Get in a position to strike. Get in a position to put the beat down on the enemy, amen? Amen. This is is like military terms. Like, God, I need you to step into the battle. This is warfare. I need you to be involved. And then he says, Don't ignore the helpless. Don't, Don't sit there and watch. Don't act like you're not interested. Get involved. Engage in this battle. David's pouring out his heart to God, saying, God, this is serious. In other places of Scripture, it says the Lord is a warrior. And David is saying, warrior, arise, stand up, manifest your presence, get your weapon out, lift your weapon against the enemy. Don't ignore us, engage. And then at the very end of that, my favorite part of this, maybe of this psalm, he says, break the arm of the wicked. What does that mean? Like, what's the bone in there? What's that called? Humorous, humorous, like funny. Okay, yeah, not funny. Radial. There we go. It's not like, hey, God, break the radial in their arm. Like, just break the, the arm bone. See, the, the the right hand or the right arm in Scripture is figurative for power or authority. So Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the place of ultimate power. The right hand is the place of power. When when David is saying, break their arm, he's saying, break their power source. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, in talking about sexual lust, he said, "If if your right eye, your strong eye, your good eye, causes you to sin, cut it out. He doesn't mean dismember yourself and cut your eye out. He's saying, go to the root of the power of your lust and cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off. Don't don't cut your hand off physically. But cut off the power that's influencing you toward lust or sin. Take it seriously. And break whatever influence or power is leading you toward that sin. David says, God, break the arm. Now remember, behind every evil situation, behind every evil person, behind every evil structure, and every evil government, or whatever it is, there is a spirit of darkness. There is a force of evil that's working. We apply this verse by saying, God, would you go to the very source of power and break it down? Whatever is influencing my child toward that, the spiritual power behind that, God, break its arm. Whatever is influencing that couple toward divorce, God, break that spirit of division or hate or whatever it is that's working in that marriage. God, break the power of addiction. Break the power of rebellion in my child's heart. Break the spirit that's behind the influence That leads us astray go to the root go to the source now guys we we are so Midwest nice so often and it, it bleeds into our prayer and we think we have to be nice in prayer these are your kids we're talking about these are people you love this is your family that's being torn apart by evil this is our country that's being torn apart by evil and at some point, we have to lay aside Midwest nice and put on our fatigues and, and begin to go to war against some of these dark spirits that are influencing us. We, we, our church in California, we used to meet in a, a school. And outside the auditorium or the cafeteria, there was just a big soccer field or football field or whatever. And we lived on the other side of that field. So Charlene and I were usually the last people to leave church. We'd be talking to people or praying with people or whatever. And My, my son was five. My, my girls were like eight and nine. And they'd hang around for a while, but then all, all their friends would leave and they'd be there. And they'd say, can we just walk home? And the girls would just go together and they'd walk home. And then JT, who's five years old, um, our baby, right? And so he'd say, Dad, can I, go, can I just go home? And I'd say, yeah. So I'd go outside and I'd watch him as he walked across the field until he got to the other side. And I remember just sitting there thinking, what would I do if like a huge German shepherd just ran out randomly and started eating my son? Like, like, just mauling him. What, What would I do? And I thought I'd probably go, hey dog, stop! Hey dog, please stop! How many of you would do that? Or how many of you, like me, would chase that dog down? I would stick my hand all the way in its mouth and grab its tail on the inside and pull him inside out and then begin to wave him and throw him about 50 yards. That's my kid. Don't be biting my kid. Don't be mauling my baby. Okay? I'm going to get serious about this if you continue to attack. I'm going to attack. Oh, not physically. I'm going to attack spiritually. And I'm going to begin to cry out to God, like David, that he would break the power source of the darkness ruining my child. The spirit of rebellion in their hearts, the spirit of addiction, whatever it is, I'm going to attack the spirit and call out to God to engage and get involved and break the power of this thing. Instead of going on Facebook and ranting about it and doing nothing, I'm going to go to the throne. And I'm gonna gonna begin to call out to God to get involved in this thing and to, to break the power of darkness. Now, David moves from crisis to description to supplication. He's asking God to get involved and then he moves to declaration. This is fascinating. It's a fascinating study of prayer because David begins to declare true theological statements. Now he's moved from feeling God is absent, God is distant, to true declarations of who God actually is. And something, I can't figure it out because it doesn't say, something supernatural and spiritual happens between supplication and declaration. Because David's a different dude. Like all of a sudden, everything shifts. He's got this Holy Spirit ignited faith in his life that's that's motivating him to begin to declare the truth of who God is. It's fascinating to me. David didn't start with prayer, but David ended with prayer. David didn't start with theological truth, but he ends with theological truth. And in, in verses 16 to 18, he makes four declarations. And the first is this. He says, God reigns. Come on. He says, God reigns. He says, God reigns. Wickedness doesn't reign. Evil doesn't reign. Evil is not in control of my children. Evil is not dominating my family. They have no authority over my family because God reigns. Here's what he says in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. God's about to get busy and do something. Because the Lord reigns. See, sometimes we begin to feel when we're overwhelmed with darkness and feeling like evil is winning, sometimes we forget who sits on the throne. Sometimes we forget that Satan and God are not two equal powers wrestling it out in the universe. That Satan has absolutely no power in comparison to the Lord. Amen? None. He alone sits on the throne. So when you read through the Psalms, David repeats this over and over. Like Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Come on, somebody. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted above all the peoples and all the powers of darkness. Jesus sits far above all rule and power and authority and dominion in every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Jesus has the place of ultimate authority. So you look at that, and you you may begin to feel like, well, you know, I don't know. Well, something happened in David from supplication to declaration, and he begins to say, no, God reigns. God is in control of this deal. Satan, you're not. Not today. Not on God's watch. Then he declares that God knows. Not only does God reign, but God knows. How did David start this psalm? God, I don't think you know. Right? Right? Where'd you go? Are you going to the bathroom? Do you go on vacation? You're certainly not here. I don't don't think you know what's going on because you're not doing anything, right? David goes from that place to know God knows everything that's going on in this situation. Here's what he says, verse 17. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you hear their cries comfort them. There's there's not one thing God misses. There's not one thing that God doesn't see. And and the the wicked that David talked about earlier in in this psalm, he says the the wicked, they think you don't know anything, right? The the wicked act like there is no God. The wicked act like they're not going to be accountable to God. And suddenly with this inspiration of faith, David rises up and he says, no, God knows. And God's going to hold you accountable. And God's going to bring you down because God hears my prayer. There, there's mom mom, there's not one prayer when you fall beside your bed and you are frustrated and you are depleted and you don't know what to do. There's not one word that God doesn't hear when you cry out to God. He, he sees the cry of your heart. Young people, God sees the bullying, God sees how you're being treated, God sees what's going on, and He hears that simple prayer: God help me. God strengthen me in this situation. He hears. He sees, he knows, he understands. There's not a detail that God misses in your life. David didn't start that way, but David ended that way. God, you are so aware. You are so aware of the details. And not only does God reign and not only does God know, but God sustains. God sustains. Again, verse 17. Lord, you've heard the desire of the humble and you will what? Say it again. You will strengthen their heart. Some are y'all ready to give up. The, the battle has worn you out. Some are you wondering, can I go another day dealing with this issue? In my life, in my kids' life, in my family's life. And David rises up and he says, Lord, you see, you know, you understand, and you will strengthen my heart. You get me through it. Don't quit. God's going to get you through it. David in in another psalm says, uh, My heart and my strength may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God's the strength of my heart. When you feel like giving up, press into him a little, little tighter. Make that declaration, God, you are my source of strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The Lord is the strength of my heart. Because you're gonna feel like quitting because the battle gets intense and Satan doesn't give up easily. But David makes that declaration. Not only does God reign, not only is God in control, not only does God have all authority, and not only is God aware of every detail of this life, and not only does God know the wicked and what they're doing, but God sustains me through it. You're gonna get through it with the strength of the Lord. And the last thing he says, David declares, God delivers. Amen. God delivers. Verse 18. You will, bring, you will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed. Isn't that good news? Look at that declaration from you're nowhere to be found. I don't even think you see what's going on. To you will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so that mere people <clears throat> can no longer terrify them. Now there's a theological truth and it's this. When Jesus returns to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem on the earth and set up his millennial reign, he will remove all evil. Uh, he will bring justice. He will, uh, he will set up his kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness. There, a day is coming when God's going to even the score. And a lot of people kind of believe spiritually, whether it's because they don't see God answering their prayer or they prayed for someone to be healed and they weren't healed, they, they have this belief that God's <clears throat> not going to do anything in this life. That God's just going to wait till the last day and then God's going to make everything good. Well, that's true. God is going to do that. But this verse teaches that God does things in this life also. Let's read it again. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed now so that people no longer terrify them. In other words, so their oppression is lifted so that they are delivered. See, orphans and widows and the oppressed, they don't just need deliverance in the life to come. They need deliverance now. David says, God, you're in the process of delivering the oppressed and setting the captive free. And it doesn't matter if it's pornography or substance abuse or anger. It doesn't matter what the evil that's working. It's the power of God to deliver. And he reigns. There's no power above his. So whatever evil, whatever darkness, whatever sin is encroaching upon your life, God reigns. And God knows. And God sustains. And God delivers. Amen? Whatever it is. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to end with a word of prayer, and and after I do that, there's going to be some some folks up here that would love to pray with you. And my, my question is this. Where is evil winning in your life? Would you like someone to pray with you today that God would rise up, that God would get engaged, and that God would break the arm of the wicked in that situation in your life? If so, man, just just come down and get prayer this morning. Lord, we lift our hands to you today, and we, like David, find ourselves in a crisis—crisis crisis of faith. We find ourselves anxious. We find ourselves discouraged. Sometimes we feel helpless against the darkness that invades. But we're reminded this morning, Lord, that you sit enthroned far above all power. We're reminded this morning, Lord, that you see everything and you know everything and you strengthen us in the battle and that, God, your heart is to deliver us from darkness. So, Lord, this morning, whether it's at a personal level, a family level, or a national level, we call on you to rise up, strike down the forces of darkness, and bring deliverance and healing. In Christ's name, amen. As you leave this morning, one last thing. This is our weekend to receive a benevolent offering. Uh, It just goes to help people in the church and outside the church that need some financial help. Drop something in there if you can on the way out. Come for prayer if you need to. Man, have a victorious weekend.